And this week's episode of Studio Inter will be previewing the Shakhtar Donetsk game with Ukrainian journalist Andrew Todos. We'll be reviewing the Fiorentina and Atalanta games. We'll be previewing the Sassuolo game. This week's Moji Moratti and Frog and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter on centerinter.com. Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nima Tavalo Ruzzari, welcoming you back after an unfortunate break last week due to technical errors. And those technical errors being that my computer decided to commit ritual Japanese suicide on a Sunday, which made it rather impossible to have it fixed. But those those matters have been resolved and we are back again. Uh, apologies for having uh, for, for missing last week, but we're back and we've got a jam-packed show and... I'm going to start by introducing our panelist, uh, the Semprinter.com preview writer, Mr. Mohammed Nasa. How are you doing, Mo? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, lots to talk about this week. So, uh, yeah, very excited. Absolutely. A lot to talk about. And we're also joined by the Semprinter.com uh, columnist who pens a weekly column called Five Things We Learned from Inter this week, Mr. Jake Smalley. Hi, I'm very well, thank you. I'm just sort of uh, trying to stop myself from laughing, thinking about you smashing your computer up, to be honest. So <laughs> I didn't smash it. It, it, it committed suicide. And then I I may have gotten angry when it refused to work and made it worse. But that that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> and I might have sent you a rather angry message, like when I when that when it all happened, I was really frustrated. <laughs> I, I, I must have sounded so depressing when I sent that audio note to you. Anyway. Um, and we're also joined by our good friend, all the way from Dallas, Texas, the sports editor of D Magazine, co-host of 77 Minutes in Heaven. Welcome back, Mr. Mike Pellucci. Hello, sir. I'm uh, I'm like Samir Hantanovich this week. I'm up, I'm down, but you can't get rid of me. You got no better options. So here I am on a Sunday. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, and we are also joined by a, a a very special guest. He's a Ukrainian. He's a Ukrainian football expert. Uh, he he's the founder of Zoria Londonsk, uh, and he covers. He, he's pretty much a go-to guy in English for Ukrainian football, making his studio inter uh, debut. Mr. Andrew Toros, welcome. Dobry vecher. Hello. Good evening, everyone. That sounded like a Eurovision intro when they say, you know, they say, Dobrovecha, Europe. <laughs> so how are you doing, Andrew? How is, how's everything with you? I'm doing very well. Um, had a busy weekend this week. Uh, been down south Ukraine, visiting the top clash in the second tier um, with Metalist Kharkiv, which many people probably know from back in the early 2010s of European football, playing in the Europa League etc they were on a resurgence after folding and they were playing a match down here so i thought why not visit that this weekend and obviously no rest for the wicked big game on tuesdays coming up too which i will be attending yes exactly and that's why we invited you on um because shakta donetsk um are playing are hosting inter and uh, um, it's it's a Shakhtar team that we were that we have a few questions about. Obviously, we knew them from last season, but they've changed the coach uh, to Roberto Roberto De Zerbi, who we know from Serie A and Sassuolo, who plays a very progressive style and very you know modern and, and possession based and high pressing. Is that also how he's imposed himself, or is that also how his Shakhtar Donetsk is playing, or is it still the the team we saw last season, which was rather defensive? A bit of both. I think it's still very early days for him to have imposed his philosophy, if you want to call it that, on his team so far. Obviously, he brought over Marlon from Sassuolo to Shakhtar, who, out of the three big signings that Shakhtar have made over this summer, they also signed Asina Troy from Ajax and Pedrinho from Benfica for quite big money moves, all over £10 million. Pedrinho, I think, was 17 million. And Marlon, probably the most disappointing and most uh, unconvincing so far. And that philosophy that you were mentioning there, 
I don't think it's really been put through yet. And potentially, especially after the opening Champions League match, which Shakhtar surprisingly and unprecedentedly lost to Sheriff, which didn't showcase any of those pointers that you mentioned as basically hallmarks of a deserving team. There was like not much high press, very much no motivation, no real emphasis or energy going on, like, you know, trying to get back into a game. So it's it's a weird one. It's a weird start. They've been they've won a, a fair amount of matches in the UPL, but they're still trailing Dynamo Kiev by three points. And funnily enough, they've just won the Super Cup in the midweek against Dynamo Kiev, which all of the bench assistants, etc., were going sort of crazy about, including Deserby. And I guess that's probably more of a factor, the fact that Deserby has never won any silverware mm. in his career so far. Mm. So maybe that's a boost for him. But at the end of the day, it's the Super Cup, which many people see as, you know, a bit of a Mickey Mouse trophy yeah. that comes at the start of the season or whatever. And yeah, they've got Dynamo Kiev again in the league, which is the much more important game after this Inter game. So we'll see what happens. But there's been many doubts so far and lots of criticism following the opening Champions League night um, a couple of weeks ago. For sure. And it was a very disappointing game for, for Shakhtar, who completely, I mean, I, I, I watched some, some, some extended 20-minute highlights of that and uh, and it looked like it wasn't it wasn't even close. Shakhtar deserved mm. to lose that game. Um, were Shakhtar that bad or are Sheriff that good or a bit of both? I mean, where are we? Definitely a bit of both because their coach, their head coach, um, Yuri Vernadub Sheriff, has a good history with Shakhtar when he was the Zorio Luhansk manager. He's known how he knows how to play against them. It was sort of a typical setup that many UPL sides try and play against Shakhtar, which is quite defensive, sit back and then play on the counter. And for whatever reason, on the night, they got two goals on the counter from relatively, you know, non, non-picked out crosses. No one was really marking the guy who ended up on the end of them. And hey-ho, they lost 2-0. And then when they were going forward, where they played quite well in the second half, Shakhtar, mm. they just, it didn't, it just wasn't going for them. The, the keeper was playing well, but they just weren't able to convert their chances, mm. which, which was a bit of a, a bit of a weird one. And they also showed a bit of this weakness in that second leg in the qualifiers in the playoff against Monaco, when they just about scraped through um, to 2-2 thanks mm. to a freak last I remember time that was crazy <laughs> that goal was crazy I mean I was watching it I was I was watching Sky Italia and they 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 just said you know you, you got to be lucky sometimes <laughs> and that was yeah. absolutely crazy um I'm gonna hand you over to Mo uh okay, do you have a question for Andrew yeah hi Andrew uh thanks for uh joining the pod uh I was wondering, uh, and I think you you hit on it, uh, you know, a bit uh, in answering Nima's question earlier, or Nima's earlier question earlier. Um, what sort of Shakhtar are we going to face uh, this year? I mean, I, everyone remembers uh, the images at San Siro last season, uh, the Shakhtar players uh, celebrating uh, the nil-nil draws if they'd won, you know, uh, top the group themselves or even won a trophy. So it was... Uh, it seemed that uh, the team's ambitions were quite limited and uh, not further beyond really just uh, making sure that they they rain on an inter-parade. Will we be seeing a more ambitious Shakhtar or, like you said, because of the real league derby or league uh, top, top of the table clash against Dinamo Kiev over the weekend, will it be another guarded sort of uh, defense-first uh, performance? What what what? In terms of attitude, what do you think Inter should expect uh, when they travel to uh, to Ukraine uh, midweek? See, that's a bit of a difficult one on the basis that due to 
the first opening game loss to Sheriff, I think it's changed probably De Zerbi's game plan on the basis that that was the must-win match. Well, the two games against Sheriff, the lowest seed in the group, were the must-win games. And then if you win those, then that guarantees at least one of those Europa League playoff places or however the new system works. And now that they lost that opening game, it's a bit sort of squeaky bum time, as they say. And I think Shakhtar, especially with it being the home tie, will have to go out for it a bit more. Whether it will be similar to last season is a different, one, difficult one because I think Piatov will be playing in goal. It won't be the heroics of Tulbin who was, you know, putting out the masterclasses in that interclash. Piatov, obviously, very old in goal, not got the reflexes or the likes, hasn't kept a clean sheet in the final stages of a Champions League campaign I think in I don't know I saw some record over 30 matches or something ridiculous it's so might be a positive for Inter in that respect but also the Zerbi has been switching his lineups in between his UCL ties so far this season so the playoffs and then obviously the group stage opener and then the UPL so he's been playing weird lineups in the UPL against the weaker sides, like proper experimental with the youngsters and all that. And then in the bigger games like the <clears throat> the Super Cup final, he played probably his strongest-ish lineup that you could come up with. And Shakhtar didn't even play that good. They were just a lot more clinical than Dinamo Kiev on the night scored their three chances and won three nil. And the yeah. issue is, yeah, sorry. No, sorry, um, sorry. And the, and the issue is, is that it, it's difficult to predict how exactly Deserbi is going to set up at all because in his UCL games, he's been playing two Ukrainians, as in, so two starting Ukrainians, so Piatov and then Matvienko, who's going to be playing centre-back. And then in the UPL, because there are homegrown talent limits where you have to play at least four Ukrainians in a side throughout the 90 minutes of a game, he has to play Ukrainians. So Stepanenko, who's probably Shakhtar's most underrated best player in a sense, the centre defensive mid, he's been missing in the UCL so far. And I think that's quite a detrimental hole that he leaves he's one of those understated defensive midfielders who sweeps up when they get broken on um breaks down attacks and then starts them again you know with quite progressive passes and i think that the probably has been forced following that first opening game to start stepanenko in these next games because they've been playing with the likes of like Mar- 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 marcos antonio mycon and they're all more attacking-focused players. And especially in the game against Inter, you know, you don't have Lukaku anymore, but you've still got Ndjeko, who's like a fine form, um, like an aged wine, etc. So they'll probably almost definitely think they're going to start on a defensive route and then try and break with a bit of pace going forward. Who those attackers are going to be is slightly difficult to predict so far. <laughs> For sure. Um, Mike, did you have a question for Andrew? And the floor is yours. I did indeed. Um, you know, one of the things that stands out, and I think Inter fans have become quite familiar, at least in passing with Shakhtar, given how often they've played the last three years, but this team has so much young talent on it. Um, you know, a lot of prospects from, you know, Dodo and Vital and Tete and Manor Solomon and um, the guy who they signed from Ajax, whose name I'm is escaping me right now, uh, Traore. Traore. Um, if there was a name or two on this roster that we are going to be hearing about in a big league in Europe in the next three, four years, who would you bet on? So Solomon's being linked with clubs across the continent over the past two or three transfer windows. Arsenal, I think, last summer, winter. Then this summer he was also linked with Atalanta, 
and I think you probably will end up leaving either in the winter or next summer just because he seems like one of those players that is a talent but he just doesn't ever really get the goals sadly for whatever reason so I'm not maybe there's some sort of like realization problems going on there and I think Shakhtar are holding out for quite a big fee because they bought him for a fair amount and then they want to sell him for 20 25 million plus euros and you know who who wants to fork that out just yet when he scored some in some big games in the Champions League but other than that his record goals wise for quite a flary wide man who comes in to shoot quite often doesn't really add up so we'll see about him but he's definitely someone to pin mark and then the other player for me is uh, this tricky winger dubbed the Ukrainian Neymar, Iroll. <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> he's a 20-21-year-old sort of young, jinky winger. He, he loves a bit of Instagram where he's doing like tricks and stuff. And that's what he was known for. <laughs> Under Castro, the previous manager, he was sort of shut out because he was like, you need to focus on your career rather than on Instagram and all this sort of stuff. And he's bucked down <laughs> over the past year, you could say. And he's been included in Desertabee's squad. So far, he was the one that provided the cutback cross that ended up being that own goal for against Monaco. He impressed me when he came on against Sheriff, but you know, with the other players in the team, it was difficult to do anything with that. He's still a bit raw. He's still young. But I think that if he's somehow nurtured correctly, gets more playing time, which is still rather inconsistent, he's going to be one of the big Ukrainian talents for, you know, the next decade, if it comes off. But no one knows for certain. It's difficult with younger players, isn't it? Um, right, I'm going to hand you over to Jake. Uh, Jake, did you have a question for uh, Andrew? I did, yeah. Um, I was just sort of listening to what you were uh, saying about Mo's question, and it's just got me sort of thinking about Shakhtar Torres as a I mean, from an Inter perspective last season. They they seemed really delighted with the result at San Siro, um, that sort of saw them get the better of Inter a little bit and uh, sort of push them on um, further in Europe that season. But I'm just sort of interested in what the expectations are from what you seem to be suggesting is Deserbi's a little bit sort of unsure what his best team is, how to sort of please the media and the fans. I mean, obviously, there's an expectation at Shakhtar to do well domestically. What's his sort of remit uh, in Europe this season? What will be the expectations? Well, the expectation, I think, is always at least Europa League spring, which is for Shakhtar sort of the absolute minimum each campaign. This campaign, especially after that poor start in match day one, it's been thrown out the window. I think he'll get given a bit of time, even if they don't perform too well in Europe this campaign. But they definitely need to give Dynamo a much more closer ride in the league. Although I still don't think they're going to prioritise the league over Europe for whatever reason. They've got, you know, they've still got five matches in this campaign and... As we've already mentioned, they've, you know, Real Madrid are relatively well-known opponents as well, as are Inter. So hopefully some of the players that have already played against them in recent seasons can use their experience, you know, to get a result out of that. However, it's definitely a, a shutdown side in transition. Like we've mentioned, Deserbi doesn't know what his first team is. When Fonseca, so the, the manager before Castro came in, he also wanted to bring in some sort of his own style of football. But then after a couple of months, he realised that it's rather difficult to do that with just the setup, the amount of players available to him, etc. And then they end up going for the typical style of football that we've seen against Inter last season. And I can try and see something similar to that uh, on Tuesday and then the reverse leg as well. 
Well, let's focus on this game. Before we let you go, uh, What can you give us a prediction? How do you think it will go? I mean, because Inter and Shakhtar, I mean, these two, these two teams know each other. I think they've played each other. This is the fifth time in two years they will play each other on Tuesday. There was twice in the Europa League. There was twice last season in the Champions League. And uh, now again, so, so these are two teams that are very, they, they know each other. They, they've played quite a lot. What, do you, what, what kind of a game are you expecting to see? And what do you think the end result is going to be? If you can give us a prediction. I'm slightly sceptical. Just after that Sheriff result, everyone's rather down and out and slightly given up on Shakhtar. But just with how irony always ends up playing, I could see another draw in this one, especially with it being the home leg mm. um, in inverted commas. There will probably be a decent crowd in Kiev. Um, wouldn't be able to give predictions of how many are going to come, but I think probably over over 15,000. Which I read less. that there's a 50%, uh, like it's, the stadium's open at 50% due to COVID now, due to COVID restrictions because mm. there's been a rise. I read something about in the Ukraine. Is that true? Yes, that is correct. But it's, you know, I don't think they would have got over 50% anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> because, you know, Shakhtar are playing in internal exile, per yeah, se, due to yeah. the war in their, yeah. in their home city. So they try a lot of marketing techniques, etc. But it only goes so much, especially when the city is renowned for Dynamo Kiev yeah. <clears throat> and all that kind of stuff. So literally just a quick caveat one. This last weekend, they opened a Shakhtar fan shop in the Olympijski, which is a shared home, which is their shared home with Dynamo. So this is basically <laughs> turning into the San Siro. If you want to, if you want to. But I mean, the that. thing is, like, this is this would be as if I don't know Juventus move into the San Siro and then <laughs> open up a shop next to yeah. Inter in Milan. Like that yeah. would not go down well. Well, bloody hell, yeah, that's that's a bit dodgy. So, so it's. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any like problems or anything like from the stands or during the no. game, anything like that. No, no, you know, anything in that mm. respect. But I'll give it a. I think it's going to be a weird one. I, I hope it's not going to be another nil nil because I can't bear another watching. <laughs> Let's go two two for uh, positive sake. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on. And, and also, if people want to find your find you on social media and follow your work, uh, you know, and, and you can, you know, explain a little bit more what you do, then the floor is yours. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Um, very interesting to chat. Yeah, so I'm, well, the go-to guy, as you said, for Ukrainian football in English. Zorya Londonsk on Twitter. Instagram and also we do an English language podcast about Ukrainian football if you're interested about that that comes out weekly it's called Ukraine plus the plus sign football and it's on all the good podcast providers and we've also got a YouTube channel where I've where we've recently started like away day vlogs so this weird weekend where I've been watching Metalist play in the south of Ukraine will be vlogged and hopefully up by the time this podcast comes out too so subscribe if you fancy a bit of that absolutely and also I, i'll tell everybody now i will be tagging uh, you on both twitter and instagram uh both of your accounts so people can follow that thank you so much for coming on andrew and hope you enjoy your night but not too much because uh, we are into fans after all <laughs> so uh have a, have a nice one and thank you for coming on thank you very much for having me take care bye right um, let's talk about Shakhtar and let's 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 conclude the talks around that. I think Andrew's absolutely spot on. Actually, I think two two is is exactly where I think this is going because I think Inter are a little bit. I mean, we're going to get to why, but I I, I don't trust Inter to keep a clean sheet, uh, and not just because of Handanovic's antics, but also because I as we you know as we spoke about two weeks ago, fortnight ago, um, there's the team. The, there is there is a hole defensively, and I I think and Simone Inzaghi needs to quickly find out the same way Andrea uh, Antonio Conte did a year ago, where he got that balance right. That's something Simone needs to work on, um, because Inter are great attacking wise, but they do look weak defensively, and I think that there will be individual errors that Inter are punished by. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with Andrew actually. I think two two draw. What about you, Mike? Uh, Mike, yeah, sorry. What about you, Mike? What, what do you think? 
I have a little more faith. I, I think what Andrew said is very telling, that Shakhtar have to chase this game. And that is not exactly a club that you associate with defensive solidity in their own right. You know, I'm, I've been very encouraged, encouraged by Inter's attacking form this year. I think we all have been. Uh, but more than that, I think they are, uh, you know, it's early. But I think back to what James, our pal James Horncastle said in the preview episode to start the season, that there is some of this mental toughness here that was not there pre-Conte. And to me, this feels like a situation where they are going to come out strong, right? They knew, I mean, just Inter doesn't have to chase the match the same way Shakhtar does, but they need some points after they, you know, they should have won this Real Madrid match. At the very least, they should have gotten a point out of it. They didn't. I think they're going to be motivated to win. I think this past week in the league, which we'll talk about overall as a win, all things considered. Uh, but Sunday, they knew they should have had three points. And I think they're going to come out. I think they're going to come out hot. I will say it will be 2-1 um, or 3-2. You know what? Let's say 3-2 because this just feels a little bit like a, a, something that might go a little wild. But I think Inter do take all three points here. Mm. Well, I suspect uh, Mr. Positivity agrees. Do you, Mo? Do you agree with uh, with Mike? I do, I do. I, I agree with Mike, but I also have a, a bit of a hot take. I think uh, uh, this will be the game where we finally keep a clean sheet. Ooh, uh, that's not a hot take. That's an excellent prediction. I love that. Yeah, yeah I think it's a it's a one two nil for Inter. I think uh, I think the the message to Handanovic by the curva today or yesterday, uh, you know, keep your head up. We're with you. We're behind you. I think these things play a lot, uh, factor a lot. Uh, clearly, Handanovic's dip in form is all psychological. We've spoken about this many, many times. You know, his his reactions are there, everything, but for some reason, he has these games already. So, uh, long story short, not to get into a Handanovic rant again. I think no, we're going we're will... going to talk about this, so, so don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about it. I don't want to squeeze it in the middle of the okay, okay. quick prediction. I think uh, I think uh, Inter are going to keep a clean sheet. I think uh, we'll win. I think three points are, you know, uh, what exactly what the doctor ordered after the, after this weekend. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, what about you, Jake? Final prediction. You're the last last man out. What do you think? Do you think it's going to be a draw? Or do you think we're going to win? Or, or or also, are we going to keep a clean sheet? Well, I'm pleased to see that Mo's got his positivity back. Uh, it's been a bit strange having to be the positive one recently. Exactly. He needs to be positive and you need to be negative. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and bring some realism. But to be honest with you, I'm, I'm really optimistic. I think, you know, part of my brain thinks, well, you know, history is going to repeat itself. Big performance needed. Three points needed. Bottle jobbing bound, but I just think Inter are too strong for Shakhtar. And, and I think as well, given that Shakhtar have got to go for it a bit more, I think that'll play into Inter's hands. I think when Shakhtar last played Inter, they had nothing to lose. It was just sit mm. back, try and shut Inter out, stop them winning. And I think if they've got to come out and try and win one of their home games, it's, you know, it, it's only going to be positive for Inter. Inter will score goals in this game. It's just whether they can keep them out. And I, I'm not too sure they will keep them out. I think they'll win. I think maybe 3-1, something like that. Okay. Well, the, it seems that everyone believes in a win except me uh, and who thinks it's going to be a draw, as does Andrew. Well, um, great. Let's, let's move on to, um, to the... Uh, the I, I want to talk about the Fiorentina and Atalanta games, because I think both of them kind of reminded me, uh, there, there was a lot of in these games that were really, rem that was that reminded me of, 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 of each other. In terms of game against Fiorentina, Fiorentina comes out really strong. Inter were lucky not to be two, three goals down at halftime. But Inter are, are a very strong team, and they're a team that if you don't kill them off, they will come back and hurt you. And the same thing you can say about Atalanta. I mean, obviously, that was completely different, where Inter started really well, and then in the first 25 minutes, and then Atalanta dominate from minute 26 to minute 2057, when Simone Inzaghi makes those three changes, and then Inter dominate again and equalize, and then all hell breaks loose in the last 10 minutes. I don't know what to call that. But um, it does feel that in up until the 57th minute, you know, when they hit the post and they have quite a few chances, Atalanta, to kill Inter off. When they don't do that, Inter score. They will hurt you. They are the champions and they behave like champions. And that's that's really positive and good. But what I am not happy about is 
And this is something that I that, that I have been worried about. And it is, yes, I know Inter scored the most goals, but Inter lack a reliable goal scorer. And I and, and why do I say that, given how, it, you know, in the day when Edin Dzeko has just equaled uh, Diego Milito's record of five goals in six games? Because of the fact that we don't, Inter don't have a poacher. Inter don't have a reliable goal scorer that they've had in Romelu Lukaku and Mauro Icardi when things were bad that can just score an ugly goal out of nothing. In fact, Edin Dzeko should have probably had three yesterday against, uh, yeah, yesterday against Atalanta. Lautaro Martinez, same thing there. The, the, the lack of cynicism in front of goal is a serious issue. And I think when you have, when you combine that with the defense, with, with Samir Handanovic's I don't know midlife crisis or whatever whatever that is, then then you that that's not a good combination and that to me is a cause for concern. Um, I'm, I'm keen to hear what you think, Mo. What, what, what are your thoughts on 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 what I'm saying here? I be, first of all, I believe the technical term for the last ten minutes is a shit show. Uh, <laughs> so like, uh, <laughs> that's the scientific term, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I look. You, you're, uh, you, you know, you're, you're, you're speaking my language. When you talk about uh, cynicism uh, in front of goal, categoria. Mm. Uh, I think for sure this is, uh, you know, it, it, it is quite ironic. Uh, extremely high-scoring team, um, eleven still. I think it's still eleven players that have scored. I, yeah, I think uh, eleven different players that have scored so far this season, but. Still extremely wasteful in front of goal. I mean, one can only imagine. But again, is this because we're now playing with two forwards up front who really get involved in the build-up play so that we're able to reach and create more chances now because of the, you know, because of Zeko's involvement, which is far more multidimensional than Lukaku's involvement in the build-up play. Lukaku is great receiving the ball with his back, feeding it to either Hakimi or to Perisic or to whoever, and then doing doing his run or running into space with his face towards goal. Zeko's not that. Zeko's actually involved with facing the goal uh, outside of the 18-yard box on countless occasions. So maybe the fact that we create all these different scoring opportunities is because of the fact that we don't have a poacher. And one of the guys really needs to up their finishing, you know, uh, capabilities. One of the guys in either Lukaku or Lautaro or Correa when he comes back, you know, so we, we keep forgetting about Correa because of his injury and his uh, lack of uh, minutes so far this season. So I agree. It is a cause for concern insofar as we cannot be disgraceful when we create so many chances because it always comes to bite you back in the ass. It happens all the time. So you can only ride your luck so much. But what is more concerning for me is this defensive. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to even call it. You know, it's. It's like you said. It seems like the module is still there from last year. I think they still defend defend very well as a unit. I think everything is there. It's just there always seems to be an individual mistake. Someone who's improperly marking a runner at at, uh, the far post, you know, uh, or, or of course, uh, Andanovic brain fart or whatever it is. But the defensive, uh, the defensive uh, looseness is probably a a bit more of a cause for for concern for me. But also, I think it's, it's probably more tactically addressable by Inzaghi. He's he's clearly shown that he's a a smart guy and he understands the squad quite well. and, And then he, he knows what he needs to work on. So I, I'm concerned at the moment, but I think it's one of those things that hopefully will, will resolve itself because the, 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 the team is there. The, the, you know, Handanovic aside, the, the team is there, that the players are there, and it's just a matter of getting it right. So sooner or later, I think it, uh, it's all going to come good. Yeah. Well, that's 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 what the, what the hope is, and that's what what Conte did last season, and that and and I don't I don't I think that's what Simon is you know going to do as well. I think he will you know let's remember he's like only coached six games, uh, this team. There you know I don't count the friendlies, but Mike, I mean, building on that, I want to hear your thoughts on this because I mean, how much of this? I mean, leaving aside Handanovic, you know, brain farts or whatever you want to call that. Where where are you on 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 all of this that the, me and me and Mo have said in terms of I'm more con, you know I look at it like this this is a very attacking side and as such 
they need to find that cynicism in front of goal. That's going to win them the games because I'm not counting on them to keep a clean sheet. Um, or, or that's more of a concern for me. Or are you more with Mo, who says actually this this individual mistakes that keep that, that keeps coming up and, and is punished ruthlessly? That's what we need to worry about more. Where are you on this? It's my oh God. I mean, this is a cop out, but I'd say maybe somewhere in the middle. I mean, look, I think you're I think you're both very right in in a lot of ways particularly with the lack of a clinical striker. You know, yesterday with Atalanta, that was the first match for me where it was painfully obvious that Inter missed Lukaku, both for the wasted chances and just the, all right, it's late in the match and somebody has to take a penalty. Who's that somebody going to be? And to be fair, Lautaro gets subbed off. He would take it. But it's not like we've ever trusted Lautaro to be fully ruthless on the spot either, right? Lukaku did both. Mauro Icardi did both. Um, Inter don't have that right now. So, I do think there's a way that you can win by creating volume of chances. I think one thing that has to happen sooner than later, and this to me can help both phases of the of of the game. Really, we got to take the kid gloves off of Denzel Dumfries. He's got to be in the lineup because when he comes in, he creates. You know, Matteo Darmian. We all like Matteo Darmian. Mm. Solid backup, can play anywhere in the formation. Big clutch gene. He scores goals. Big fan of that. But this. If you're trying to win the title, he can't be playing, not even a full match, but he can't be playing 60 minutes a night. Dumfries isn't Hakimi going forward, but he is still one of the best attacking wingbacks in Italy. I think that's pretty safe to say, even already, just between what we've seen, what his pedigree pedigree is both internationally and in Holland, and just the fact that you know, the talent level in Italy right now isn't what it was last year. Uh, he's going to add a lot going forward, but he's also shown a lot of promise defensively too. He works, he's big, he's physical. I think if you put him in on the right, two things can happen. One, you could just do a lot more on that right channel beyond just whatever Barella does. But two, it gives you options in the midfield because right now we are back to where we were in the first half of last year, which was, you know what Brozovic does, you know what Barella does, and you just aren't getting anything from that third midfield slot because Chalanoglu, after that amazing debut, has just been nowhere to be found. And I don't know if the answer is Vecino. I don't know if the answer, once he's healthy again, is Arturo Vidal because he looked he looked solid. I don't know if it's Roberto Gagliardini. The real answer is that none of them are actually the answer, right? We are back to having a big gap of the third midfielder. But I think if you start Dumfries on the right and you know you're getting some attacking play from there and between Perisic and DeMarco, I think we're pretty confident creating space on the left. You know that guys like Correa or Lataro or you know, Brozovic, Barella, you'll get some creativity on the midfield. If you can put another midfielder in there who gives you more defensively, maybe you lose a key ball or two from Chalanoglu, but he's also been so wasteful in possession that I don't think you're losing that much right now. Maybe that helps you ride the ship a little bit in the middle of the pitch, and that gives a little more defensive solidity. And then maybe, I don't know, best case scenario, Chalanoglu settles down as the year goes on, and you could kind of turn to him more and more and integrate him. Because they threw him in for the jump, and he really played a lot more as a 10 at Milan. They're asking to play that kind of Luis Alberto role as a, you know, more of a midfield playmaker type. It, in theory, should work, but it is just not going well right now. So my solution is I don't think we have to commit to this team being one or the other if you are changing the lineup and optimizing the lineup. And if Dumfries comes in and you still can't find a third midfielder that makes this work, then maybe you commit to one way or the other. But I think right now you still have some moves that you can make just in the starting 11 to maybe balance this thing out. And I don't want to write that off after, like you said, it's only been six matches of Inzaghi. I think that's a. Uh, just a, Go. Sorry, Nima. It's, Go. it's a very, very good shout, uh, this one, because honestly, uh, again, like you just said, uh, Mike, uh, we all love Darmian and uh, respect his contribution to the team and everything. But the side looks just so much more, um, I don't know, steely when uh, Dumfries is on. The guy's a baller. And like you said, I think I think he potentially could be a more complete player than Hakimi because his defensive contributions are far, far better than. Uh, than, than Ashraf ever ever did uh, in his one season. So uh, yeah, and I think uh, not I think just you're that. Right. No, not just that. I want to I want to build on that. To me, the Bologna game that was the first time that I got Mike on vibes from a player on the right. Mm. He's not he's not just fast. He's not just strong. He's not just a great crosser. He's incredibly he's incredibly intelligent. 
and he's his the way that he sacrifices himself for the team. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he still is a little bit positionally get, gets lost, but he makes up for that with these 70 meter dashes, sprints back to cover up for his own mistake. Um, and you know, he and, and he and he seems to have a pretty decent good shot on him as well. Like to me, for me, Mike on it was he he was not you know he might not have been technically the best player. He was outstanding technically, but Dani Alves was maybe a little bit quicker and technically a little maybe a little bit better. But yep. Mike on was was a beast in the sense that he owned he has he imposed himself down that right flank. He completely that this is his area of the pitch and he owns that. And that that's the vibes I get from Dumfries. His his mentality. The, the the way he takes on and runs his 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 grittiness when winning the balls Hakimi wasn't very gritty he was a technical he was a beautiful player to watch a very technical a stylish player Dumfries has both that is better defensively and above all much more dominant in his in 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 the way he presents himself and also more powerful um, his legs are so long. I mean, just take a look at his every every time he goes running, one of his one of his steps is two of everyone else's. He's yeah, got there's like, nobody quite physically like him on the roster. And I don't think there's been anybody on the roster quite like him. Not even at that position, but just mm. built like him and moves like him. Yeah. Exactly. Like he looks like saying. a sprinter. Like in, like every like he's got such long legs that every 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 time when he when he starts running and and he accelerates one of his one of his steps is two of the others like he doubles them and and he's and his and you can see why this guy was the captain of PS3 despite his young age he he does not give up he doesn't concede an inch even if he makes a mistake he's right back in there winning that ball back and that that's that's the thing that's impressed me the most about that guy um and i think i'm i'm with you all the way for me though Di Marco has to, if you're playing Dumfries, you need to have Federico Di Marco on the left wing back, not as a left central defender, but as a left wing back. Right. And, and the reason for that is because otherwise you don't get the balance right. Because if you, Perisic likes to attack the deep and, and to do one-on-ones, it's not that solid defensively. Federico Di Marco is quick, but he's not, he's not a marauding left wing back. He's more of a guy who knows how to read the game and, and, and knows when to attack the space and cross the ball in, which he does brilliantly. His left foot is outstanding, as yes. we've seen. But um, I think you get the right balance when you have Vecino, Di Marco, and Dumfries on right now. Because as you said, in my opinion, correctly alluded to, Chalanoglu and Brozovic, as we've said, I mean, as Fulvio said a couple of weeks ago, it's quite clear that the teething problems between Brozovic and Chalanoglu it's just, it's just they, they just can't play together right now. It looks better than it did when Christian Eriksen first was there. There's no doubt about that. So I'm not too worried. I think they just need to continue playing together in practice, finding each other where they are, and, and that'll take care of itself. I think this is teething problems, if I'm perfectly honest. But in the meantime, when Vecino plays, when Dumfries and Di Marco play, that's when Inter get the best out of Jeco, Lautaro, and Inter get the best out of their team and every and all of their tools that they have in their toolbox that hurts teams. And boy, does it hurt teams. Atalanta looked on the ropes from for, for large parts right. when Inter yeah. start drumming up. And that's really impressive. That's that, that's good. That's good to know. Plus, uh, I mean, but before you toss it to Jake, the other aspect, too, is if you're going to take Chalanoglu off the pitch, you should have DeMarco on there because they're both so fantastic at set pieces. And it's a real, even when one of them is on the pitch, mm. it's just such an advantage. And it's so obvious how much it helps the club that you don't want to, you don't want to sacrifice that. So no. if you're going to take Chalanogal off, I mean, this is clearly trending towards a time anyways, when DeMarco is going, I, I've predicted from the jump that it'll be DeMarco's job by mid season. Uh, but especially I'm with you just for a balanced perspective, why wait? You know, and that's nothing on Ivan. That's just more if DeMarco's the future and DeMarco balances you right now. And if you want any shot of taking Chalanogu off the pitch, you don't want to take that big dip in set pieces because Akan has been phenomenal at that already. So oh. get DeMarco out there so his left foot is available. Absolutely. Jake, what, what, are, your, what, is your, what are your two cents or two pennies on this, I should say? Well, I've been saying this for weeks. You, you've got to play DeMarco and Dumfries from the start. And I, I understand a bit with Dumfries, given the fact that he's quite new and, you know, he, he played the Euros in the summer and things like that. Maybe he's, he wasn't quite up to speed when he first came, but you've got to have Dumfries and DeMarco playing every single game they can at the minute. I, I, I'm someone who advocates um, rotation a little bit. 
you know, league home matches against your Genoas and teams like that who you'd expect him to beat with a rotated squad. It's fine to play Perisic maybe, or maybe Darmian, who I was thinking just then when you, you were sort of discussing it with Mike, I think you could maybe even put a case for Darmian being a slightly better D'Ambrosio at this point. You know, it's he, he adds a few goals. He, he's someone who we really like. You know, nobody's got anything against him, but Dumfries just offers more and... I was actually going to mention Vecino. Um, I think he's the player who I would definitely play in that midfield at the moment. And I, I was thinking a bit more about him, thinking if, if we're being honest, he's someone who's been massively, massively overlooked over the last couple of years. As mm. he's grown a little bit stronger, he's still been there. And I know he spent a lot of time out injured, but he can still do a job. And let's not forget, you know, he's had his first year of key moments as well. He stepped up in derby matches. He scored mm. that massive goal against Lazio, of course. Um, so... I, I'm, I'm definitely with you on that, Neymar. I think playing him in that midfield is what will unlock the best into. But sort of going back to your initial point, I think you've really got to look at things for what they are at the moment. Inter have still not lost a game. You know, early season last year, albeit it was away in Bergamo, they drew with Atalanta. You know, so it's not really any sort of worse result. We all thought potentially in summer things could be drastically worse than what they are. You know, you lose Lukaku, you lose Hakimi, you lose the manager, club in turmoil, who players going to come in to replace and, and things like that. I think there's so much promise about this team. I think we're being very sort of picky, rightly so, I think picking up some of these key points. Now, I agree with everything that everybody said there about the defence and the midfield, being a bit more solid. Those two things need to happen. But I think there's so much to come from this Inter team. I think to see where they are in the league at the moment, um, they've only sort of dropped four points. It's scored loads of goals. Uh, I think it's got potential to be a really good season. It's going to be harder to win than last season. I think you know, you've got Napoli up there this year. Milan obviously wants to get up there too and prove that last season wasn't just sort of a bit of a blip. But I, I really think there's so much promise to look at. There's players who were mentioned in there who've not even hit the straps yet in DeMarco and Dumfries who can get even better. I think Lattaro Martinez, I put it in my sort of weekly feature this week, this is his year where he's the man and he's mm. really going to come to the front this season, I believe. Absolutely, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Um, right, uh, be, I mean, we, we have to address the, the Handanovic situation because I don't even know what to say. I, 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 because it's it's not, you know, we've criticised him in the past. You know, Mo, you've, you've, you've been very critical of his, you know, the, the fact that, you know, his, his when he does his statue imitation and stuff. And I've always said that I think the issue is that he can't, you know, his problem has always been positioning and he's always been a little bit wrongly positioned. And therefore he used to make up with it with his incredible reflexes and now they're gone. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit like a perfect storm. But what we saw against Atalanta was just wrong decision after wrong decision after howler after howler. And this comes on the back of a game against Fiorentina where he was the best man, best Inter player on the pitch. He saved Inter in that first half. He made one brilliant save after another. And this is what worries me because I don't, this is for me, when, when a player go does something like that and is this inconsistent at his age, because at that age, that's when you're supposed to be at your most consistent. You're supposed to have the experience to rely on. But Handanovic just, doesn't I, I don't know is it concentrate is it mental is it a quality thing I honestly don't know um and 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 I don't know what's worse and I think you know I I honestly think that everyone's talking about Onana in January it's not going to happen he's not coming no one's coming in January this is the guy Inter have until June you know just deal with it but Inter shouldn't be in this position um and I think that they should have done to Handanovic what they did to Julio Cesar when they replaced Julio Cesar with Handanovic. And now it's a mess. Mo, what are your thoughts on this? Because this is this is this is clearly an issue. Yeah, it uh, clearly is an issue in in my opinion it has been an issue for a while now. Uh, the thing is that uh, Handanovic I think uh, is still going to be able to give you these uh, eight and a half nine out of 10 performances every now and then. And uh, let's just hope that uh, these uh, days, I, honestly, you're, you're asking what it was. I, 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 can't, I can't imagine the issue yesterday being anything but uh, mental. Mm. Uh, because like you said, it was all just poor decision-making 
uh, anxiousness, nervousness, his body language, the way he was talking to the defense, it wasn't like he, he was, uh, you know, shouting at them or directing them. It was, it was all very, you know, it, honestly, it seemed like he was hungover, you know, <laughs> had a rough night out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ordinary, that's what I would That's what I'd say. You know, the I love that. I love that. Yes, that's what the problem was. He had a rough night the night before. Too many rakias. I love that. <laughs> I, I think the Handanovic we're going to see on average is definitely closer to the Handanovic we saw against Bologna, not uh, Fiorentina, than mm. the one we saw against So there will be more frequent uh, individual mistakes. Uh, but I think overall... Uh, whether it's until June or to January, I don't think that uh, we we're going to see uh, as many uh, disastrous showings like we did against Atalanta. And I think there are other issues that the, that the team must address. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, it's it's a problem that needs to be fixed going forward ASAP. Mm. What about you, Mike? What what are your what are your two cents on on this? I mean, is it mental? Is it quality? Is it both? Is it? I mean, if we t- what what happened against Atalanta? Like everything Mo said, where where are you on that? I I mean I don't know. I, it's kind of we're we're not professional goalkeepers. We we don't know. I think the only thing that we can empirically say is that any player once you get into your 30s and especially well into your 30s is liable to fall off and. Samir Handanovic has fallen off. And I, I said this last year, and I'm going to say this again. Really, I mean, I've got everything I feel boils down to two things. One, like you said, Nima, and this can't be said enough, right? And it's going to be said anytime he makes a mistake, and this will continue to happen. People will say, bring in Onana now, or they will say, bring in Radu or something. No, this is it. It's Samir the whole way through. Because, one, I've got news for you. If you we, we saw Radu in small samples. If you think no, Samir is a problem, you don't no, want thanks. that. Yeah, yeah no, I, no, agree. That's I, I agree 100%. You don't want that, okay? Uh, but beyond that, I think people, whenever they invariably, yes, Samir is a liability now. But you cannot underestimate the fact that, you know, Neem and I were talking about this on Twitter yesterday. Uh, Inter haven't really picked the right fit as a captain since Zanetti, right? They they give it to Ranocchia. Ranocchia was just never was good enough. He was always going to be replaced. You give it to Icardi on the old auspice of he's your best player, but he has no leadership skills whatsoever. You give it to Samir, and it was just too late because Samir is the longest standing guy and he is the pillar. But when he fell off, what are you going to do? And now you're in this position where you it's very it's one thing on the outside to say the goalkeeper isn't playing well. It's another to take the captain of the team the longest serving guy on the club who has been a rock for 10 years and say, you're not playing now in the middle of a title of offense. When you lost your manager, your best player and your other, maybe the second most exciting player on the team, all this upheaval. And you're going to say the biggest pillar in the club is just not going to play anymore. Good luck with that. Right? Because that's the <laughs> difference between playing football manager and being in the room that would not go well. And it wouldn't go well. Even if you had someone in reserve who the players could at least rally around and be like, well, this isn't ideal, but he's going to help us win. But they don't have that guy. So to bring an Andre Inanna in January, it's not going to happen. Andre Inanna, barring something shocking, seems like the guy who will replace him next year. But you've got Samir all the way through. So let's let's get past the whole he needs mm. to replace mid-year thing. It's not happening. The second thing is just, and I said this last year, but this can't be said enough. This is on the club. All right. Don't get mad at Samir Handanovic for being trotted out there week in, week out, well after he should have been depended on, well after you should have had a backup plan. They kicked this can down the road for so long because he was good for so long. You know, we forget it's been a rough year and a half, but even through age 35, he was still really strong. Two seasons ago, he still was a really good keeper. Not what he was, but still a clear starter, one of the better guys in the league. But, I mean, look at look at what Juventus is going with with Chesney in his early 30s, right? It can fall off quick for a goalkeeper. That's what's happened here. But there is no contingency plan. And that's on the club, whether that's management for being complacent when they had money or just Suning and their ownership woes and the finances drying up. And now you can't replace them when it's obvious. But this isn't on Samir, right? The guy, should he play better? Sure, but he's 37 years old. He shouldn't be in this position to begin with. The club has put him out there. He's going out there because that's what you do. I guarantee you it's not like he enjoys sucking or everybody hating him. Uh, so for me, it's it's kind of pointless to sit there and go, what is he going to do or what isn't he going to do? What's on him? What's not? He's 37 and his body can't move like it, it could. That's that's not his fault. That's on Inter 
for letting it get to this point. So ultimately, I'm just at the mercy. And I said this last time that for me, whether they win comes down to two, two things, how well Lautaro moves forward and how little Samir moves back. Samir is going to keep progressing. Samir is going to keep mistakes. You have to play around him. It is almost embarrassing that we are in this position, but that is the position we are in. And he's not going to play any better because he's 37 years old and they're not going to replace him because he's the captain and they don't have, they, even if they had the money, you're not replacing the captain mid-year after the upheaval they had. So all we can do is just hope that they score enough goals or hope that there's enough defensive solidity to play around it. And if they lose the Scudetto, this is probably the biggest reason why. But again, don't put it on the dude in net. It's just the situation he's being put into. Hmm. Yeah. Um, hard to disagree with that. Jake, I suspect that you have a different view on the Radu thing. So I want you to defend Radu and explain why you think Radu should start instead of Samir. <laughs> this is going to be a bit of a thankless task because nobody's going to agree with me here, but <laughs> I'm going to go for it anyway. Uh, I think this, the saddest part of this is I've always been a big Handanovic supporter, always. I think he's been a brilliant goalkeeper for Inter. And it, it, in the sort of football romantic that's in me, it's sort of sad to even have to have this conversation. I think a lot of people have criticised him over a number of years and I've never agreed with it. I've always thought, no, but the last 12 or 18 months, it, it, he's just gone and, you know, if he was a horse, he'd be out in a field somewhere now. You know, he won't be racing anymore. That, that's that's just the way it is. Um, I think it's at the point where every shot that goes on goal, it frightens the life out of me just because I think he's going to let one in. He's really, really slow to get down to things. He palms everything out now. I mean, he's never a keeper who held on to a lot of things. He's near post as a severe weak point. And it just frightens me. And, you know, listen to the arguments that have just been sort of put to it's hard to disagree with those, to be honest with you. But I think maybe something different does need to be tried. I think maybe just even for Tuesday's game in the Champions League, maybe give Radu a run out, just see what he's like. You know, I don't particularly think he's a great goalkeeper. You know, I think he's a player who's probably more adept to a lower Serie A, maybe even B side. He's not a great goalkeeper. So I think it would be a bit of a risk. Um, but one thing I will say as well, I think it's quite encouraging to see interlinked with what looks like a really adequate replacement too. I think that's worth making note of because, you know, looking back a few years ago, wouldn't to have had the pulling power to sign someone like Onana and to get him on such a bargain deal. I mean, he might turn out to be a poor player, but that, that could represent really good value for Inter too. Uh, I think it, it would be a really tough deal to do in January. And I think it does, ultimately, this situation does come around through a lack of forward thinking. And I think that, is down to the summer transfer window that's just happened. You know, you sell Lukaku, right, there has to be a striker brought in. Christian Eriksen, obviously, has that situation. So let's move quickly and get Charlie in on a free. Uh, Hakimi goes, let's get a right wing back in. Right, well, we've not really got much more money to sort of burn. Let's just sort of keep it with how it is. And in some ways, I don't blame them. But, you know, I think Mike raises a really, really good point there, actually. To, to point the finger at the goalkeeper is a little bit harsh. And uh, I think you, you've got to look at the club on this one, definitely. Mm. I mean, while, I've over, while, while you're talking, I want to ask you, what do you think? Um, I mean, let's just quickly preview the Sassuolo game, because I think Sassuolo aren't the Sassuolo they used to be. Uh, I, 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 I expected it. I think most of us did. Um, just quickly, I mean, I expect Inter to I expect Inter to win that game, even if they draw against Shakhtar. I, I'm, I'm expecting a 2-3-1 win away. What about, just quickly, a prediction, Jake? And then I'm going to go to to the others. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think the Sassuolo game last season uh, away from home was a real sort of watermark in inter-season to prove they could go to a side that were pushing, playing good football and just take care of them. You know, that was a really key moment. I think a lot of players will still have that in their minds from last year. I, I think they'll win comfortably. I think 3-0. Mm, nice one. Uh, Mike? Uh, in keeping with the let's not bank on any Samir clean sheets just to be safe, let's go 3-1. But I agree. I think this is going to be a comfortable win. I think Inter are going to be out for blood, leaving a little bit on the table at Atalanta. And, you know, at home, 3-1. Mo, where are you on this? Uh, yeah, I think it's a win as well. I definitely don't think it's a clean sheet uh, with Berardi. I think he's flipping ah. on the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but uh, but a win. I think uh, probably a very high-scoring win, maybe a four-two. Mm, nice one. 
Well, it seems we're all unanimous. Uh, we all agree on that one. Right, let's move to the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of, criticize someone or something heavily in the world of football, starting with the positivity, which we presented by Mr. Positivity, this week's Moratti by Mr. Mohamed Massa. He's, he works a lot, he's intelligent, and he surprises uh, people sometimes with his uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of this uh, qualities. So, uh, guys, I don't know. Uh, sometimes it's sport, you know, it, it just is uh, fortune or your luck or whatever. But really, uh, I don't know how how much we should, we need to be thankful to uh, Beppe Marotta for bringing uh, Nicolo Barella. Um, that assist uh, for the first goal to Lautaro. I mean, performance. this guy, this guy is something else, right? Like we have someone who's, you know, if the club does manage to navigate these uh, turbulent financial times well enough and, 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 and be able to compensate the player, we have a guy who could be, you know, a top uh, global world midfielder for a good seven, eight years coming, you know, leading the entire uh, central uh, center of the pitch for Inter. Amazing, amazing. So uh, Nicolo Barella and that assist in particular are my Moratti of the week. It best, wasn't just yeah. best player in Italy. The whole yeah. league. No, the he's, whole the, league. He's, he's the best, best midfielder by he's the best midfielder by a mile. And it wasn't just that assist. Every single cross, every time one the wing back cuts in and he goes out on that right and is able to hit that ball early for space to attack, it's he that's the kind of stuff David Beckham made a career out of. Like it's just pinpoint gorgeous passes around the bank. He, but he, but the difference between him and him and David Beckham is that he, the, he Nicola Barella can play football too. I mean, <laughs> I mean, David Beckham was good looking. He jogged around for ninety for for most of his careers. He could barely run. He could barely dribble. Nicola Barella can do all of those things. He's a complete midfielder. That you play him as a regista, he does that brilliantly. You play him in a number ten role, he turns that into his thing. Metzala, you, he's the most complete midfielder. He's the best midfielder this league has. No one else comes close. And and it's it's just I I've always been the Milan Skriniar captain train. And 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 but I'm starting to you know what? No, make Nicola Barella the captain. Period. I, boy. I, Get I on mean, the train with me. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been on the screen, yeah, but no, 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 no. It has to be Barella. It has to be Barella. Like the the the, the maturity, the attitude, the winner, the, everything, the mm-hmm. every, everything about him is just he's Inter's next captain. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. Um, right. Let's move on to uh, something much more negative. This week's Moji, which we presented by Mr. Mike Pilucci. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like we got a lot of this already, right? I mean, it probably would be Samir. Uh, it, you know, you could talk about the the lack of political finishing. The sake of just having something here, uh, the emoji of the week is just uh, biology, and specifically biology of Christian Eriksen. Because, man, I mean, we talk a lot about child. You know, I mean, it, we've talked a lot about Hakimi leaving. We've talked about Lukaku leaving. I don't think we've talked enough about the fact that just. I, I know we lament it, but like, man, this was a week where if Erickson is playing in that role that Chalonogu is playing, and their skill sets are so similar, but Erickson's just a lot better, uh, and to win this match. I mean, if, if if he is there this whole year, I think they just are winning the league. I just, I mean, God, I just really think that they miss him so much, and it breaks my heart not to see him out there and to think about him not possibly being able to play again. So... Uh, let's blame biology for that one. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, right, let's move on to something much more uh, po- uh, much more comical. This week's Frog, which will be presented by Mr. Jake Small. E clamoroso! Autogol di Ranocchia! Well, I'm going to take on a sort of short trip to Bosnia for this one. Um, there's been a clip during the rounds this week of uh, Slobodan Tuzla in the Bosnian top division uh, played a game this midweek and a dog interrupted the game, uh, managed to tackle one of the players and the best thing is everyone sort of stopped, moved out of the way and sort of leave him and one of the players for the away side, I'm not even going to try and pronounce their name, 
uh, he tried to tackle the dog, and the dog no. begged him. So uh, that, no that's, way, that's no way. Twitter storm. Yeah. So we've got a situation where loads of the fans of uh, Bosnian sides have been asking the club about signing him up. So <laughs> the club actually managed to put a tweet out. Um, on Friday morning saying we've had a lot of requests for comment but we can officially confirm that regardless of the impressive dribbling skills Dog Naldo will not be offered a contract due to legal issues and unreasonable demands from his representatives we wish him all the best so no <laughs> Dog Naldo in the Bosnian top flight <laughs> that is the definition of a frog brilliant well done Right, uh, that's all we have time for this week I'd like to thank Andrew and Mo who had to rush off and leave I'd like to thank you Jake no, thank you for having me. I'm, I've been enjoying chatting into with you guys a lot uh, recently. So uh, let's hope we can get uh, that monkey off our back in the Champions League, get a positive win, and then mm. next weekend uh, take care of Sassuolo and hopefully Berardi doesn't score or Kinshili doesn't have a good game either. Mm, for sure. Mr. Mike Pellucci. Thank you as always, boys. Forza Inter. And as always, I'm your host, Nima Tavale-Rutsari, wishing you a good week. Stay healthy, listen to your authorities. Six points. And sempre e solo Forza Inter.